0: Hey, this is Sarah from the podcast, and what you're about to hear is part one of a two-part episode with two local pediatric psychologists, and we think that the information is so great that we want to split up the conversation into two parts. So this episode is going to seem like it ends a little bit abruptly, but it's going to continue on next week. So hopefully you enjoy this episode as we learn together some really great information from Jamie Bilo and Jim Schrader. Well, hello, welcome to episode 35 of the One Life Church podcast, where we talk about things from One Life Church, but just ultimately things we think could relate to you and your one and only life. My name is Sarah, and I am joined, as always, by my co hosts and our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson. That's right.
1: And it sounds cliche to say I'm excited to be here because yep. everybody always says that, but I really am, I'm always excited to do this because I really enjoy it, but I'm really super excited to be here today because one of the reasons we did the podcast to start with is because we wanted to let people know, one of its principles is to let people know what's going on locally and mm. the people that are doing work locally and our guests today are just a shining example of that.
0: So. Absolutely, yeah. We're going through a series called Common Chaos, talking about relationships, addictions, and stress. And um, those are really broad topics, but just the common chaos that we think we all kind of um, go through all the time. And so we want to bring on some people who um, have some expertise in this area and, and get some information and just have a really great conversation. So I'm joined. Uh, we're joined today uh, by two um, pediatric psychologists, Jim Schrader and Jamie Below. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I'd love to just get to know a little bit about you guys. Give us a little brief intro and and Jim, I'll start with you.
2: Sounds good. So uh, Jim Schrader and I'm a father of seven kids going on eight soon. So it's a lively place at our house, as you can imagine. (laughs) We uh, started off with a bang with our twins who are almost 13 and then we have 11, 9, 7, 5, 2, and my wife is due, my wife Amy is due August 1st. Wow. So it's, it's happening at the house.
3: So I love how you know all their ages. No, it's, it's, I have three and I was, have to it's, remind myself. Right. Like. Yeah.
2: The key Jamie is the odd or even cycle. It oh, jumps okay. over that, that oh, helps out okay. a lot bit. So okay. when you have a
3: kid that doesn't fit in. Yes, to that, it's, a, it really it's a problem. Yeah. We we, right. we, do,
2: we get a little angry sometimes. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so life at home is quite busy. And um, I'm a pediatric psychologist at Easter Seals Rehab Center here in town. And i um, the vice president of the psychology and wellness department there. So. Yeah. Wow. Um, beyond that, you know what? I love the outdoors. Um, I've, I've gotten a lot involved with endurance, kind of racing, um, triathlons and, and marathons, ultra marathons and stuff. And um, we're getting ready to go backpacking this weekend with our kids and a few other friends. And so um, I'm, I'm a very kind of natural guy. I guess you could even say I hug trees sometimes. Try to avoid it most trees, the time. all right. But so it you know, actually does happen. That's it does good. happen sometimes. Yeah. I, yeah. They, I really find it's a great, great beauty in nature. I, I
1: also would kind of put you in the category of overachiever in every category. No, no. Children, I'm do <laughs> triathlons, and okay, <laughs> yeah. that, that size it up. So
2: I've yeah. been so blessed, uh, in my got life. our attention so yeah. blessed. Yeah. So, and I just try to give back in some ways right. there. So
3: awesome, Jamie, tell us a little bit about you. So, I'm going second. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm a pediatric psychologist at St. Vincent Center for Children. Um, I primarily work with young kids, so 10 and under is sort of my um, range that I work with, and I do a lot with diagnosing autism, ADHD. Mm-hmm learning disabilities, and then treating those same conditions. Um, And so when I'm doing therapy, I'm working a lot with the parents and the kids together. We're working on um, just challenging behaviors um, and sometimes improving communication and a lot of times um, anxiety in young kids. Yeah. I, I know what I want my hobbies to be. Um, in reality, let's see, I like, it. I pin yeah. a lot of food prep things yeah. on Pinterest that I don't make. Yeah. So, um, there you go. Right. and I um, put a lot of effort into planning date nights mm. for Zach and I. Mm-hmm. So like arranging babysitters, that would be a hobby of mine. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like my purpose today is to introduce you guys to Jim. So <laughs> like I bring Jim, who is like a very high capacity person that I get to know in real life. Um, so I feel like um, he he didn't mention that he's he's done Ironmans, um, and so I just I feel like Jim brings a lot, and I'm here for like you know. some While experience. he was having eight yeah. children, but right. no, I, I right. have a
1: feeling there's uh, there's a whole lot yeah. more going yeah. on there, Jamie. Right, yeah, I'm we'll, gonna share we'll, we'll, my experience. We'll pull that out. Absolutely, no, comic we, we know your expertise. Yeah, here we now, go. now you That's were cool. like, uh, wouldn't it like voted. Uh, then the 30 under 30 thing, or the 20 40 under 40, 40, or 20 under 40, 20 or however under 40, we were, yeah. or 20, yeah. See? There you go. There we go. Right. That was great.
3: fun. Yeah. Did, did you get that as well? Uh, no, I, I no. didn't get to that sound. He did not get it. Jay, okay. That's Jamie's what I thought. Jamie's
2: humility yeah. comes through uh, That's right.
3: Well, so. Self-deprecation yes. at <laughs> <add> its finest. <laughs>
1: but it adds the relatability. Yeah. yeah. Jim good. and I used All to right. work
3: together. I don't know if we said that at the Center
0: for Children at St. Vincent. And so that's how we kind of came to know each other. And for West Sider at our West Campus, you guys probably know Jamie already, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, my of, husband, Zach, is yeah campus pastor yep. at West. That's yes. right. <laughs> you guys know Zach, too, so we're excited to just have lots of great conversation today and, and talk about some things that we know you guys have um, experienced, have research um, on, and, and I think it'll be really fun. So It is going to be fun. Yeah. Wow, sounds like a great time. Yeah, and, and Jim, I kind of want to start. You, you have... Um, a website where you've written some some articles and information. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that.
2: So, yeah, the purpose of the website is try to just bring together, I think for parents, for people in general, for professionals, um, you know, there's a lot of great research out there, but so often the research, the way it reads, it's difficult, right? I mean, we get through a couple paragraphs and we think, I'm not sure what they're saying and I don't know if this is relatable. But the reality is when you can kind of um, bring it to more lay level, it is very relatable, Mm -hmm. right? And so the website is just james-trader.com and it really brings together a lot of different writings. Some of the writings are very spiritual, some um, may appear secular, whatever it is, but the purpose is to say, hey, we're all in this pursuit of life, right? We're here at One Life Church, of course. And um, you know what? I think there's a lot of topics, and this is why I'm really excited about today too, that sometimes maybe are considered a a little mundane, or Mm -hmm. just kind of ordinary, you know, you think of all the things that are covered on the news, and so often it's these sensational topics. But so often that's not the things that we need in our lives. Um, We deal with, you know, the things that we're going to talk about today with anxiety and screens. That's what we're all dealing with, right? So the purpose of the the website is really to kind of bring together and fulfillment of parenting in a holistic way, living life fully in a wholly healthy, happy, harmonious way as much as possible, and just to make that accessible. So...
1: Excellent, excellent. And yeah. and to frame it up a little bit, we, as in our church, if you're listening with that context, uh, we've, we we just had a brainstorming session on what are the things that people typically battle, and in yes. inside church, outside church, everywhere. And we came down on relationships, addictions, and stress. And so we've been talking a lot about relationships. and they're all kind of linked together. Uh, you know, when people talk about addictions; they hear the addictions to phones, not only. Drugs and alcohol and things of mm-hmm. that nature, and so just exploring that. And we've also stressed that we we were looking at what the Bible has to say about those things. And I've been I've been trying as a as a layman in the in the scientific world is to scan the horizon for all the scientific data that we could possibly get a hold of. Right. Just and and so these two are here to really kind of fill in the blanks on a lot of that. We were talking before Jim was uh, saying that that's exactly how he approached a book called Holiness that he wrote uh, yeah. with a W. Holiness. Uh, what does science have to say? What does Christianity have to say? And it's It's a great mix because God's the one that made us to begin with. So, uh, why don't we start off just by just kind of give us some broad brush things that you wish everybody uh, could know about the issue of stress, and especially as it relates to we are going to be talking about screens. We are going to bring that up, and that affects relationships big times. That's what I uncovered my in my life and in my research. But what are some of the basic things that you wish everybody knew about these kind of topics?
2: You know, one thing I'd start with is the idea that we often think about, let's talk about when we're anxious, right? We think in a very psychological way about anxiety. But the reality is that we as human beings really express ourselves in, I would say, four domains, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual, right? But so often when we go seeking for a problem, we think one dimension. So it's normal, you know, you're feeling anxious, you might go to a therapist if that's been an issue for a while, and you're talking through it. What I'd like for people to know though is that many of the things that you're doing in your ordinary life might be impacting your level of anxiety and you don't even quite realize it. Let me use an example. We are sleeping about 20% less today than we are we did about 100 years ago. And there's a ton of evidence to suggest that as we're sleeping less, the design that God created for our bodies is not being fully realized. And so in sleeping less, there's a huge connection that about 90% of anxiety disorders have a sleep component, and almost the reverse is true. 90%? 90% have, they struggle a little bit with sleep in certain ways, and vice versa is true. So there's a, and whether it's huge sleep problems or whether it's just like minor sleep issues, one thing I would love for the general public to know is that there's a reason why in the average life, let's say you live to 80 years, you're designed to sleep about 25 to 28 years of that life. It's because really that there's a, so much restorative effects going on. There's so much that's going on that we don't realize that the growth hormone is doing mm-hmm. and not all mammals sleep like we do. I, I was doing a little research a little ways back and I think giraffes, for example, sleep very little during the day and it's usually in like 30 minute segments when they do. So there's something interesting about that design that relates to not just our physicality, but also relates to our psychological sense. And so the same thing is going increasingly with the um, issue of diet and nutrition. The last five or 10 years have seen a flood of research for pediatrics and adults to connect a child's diet and sadly a very westernized diet to increased rates of ADHD or mood issues or anxiety issues. So what I don't think most parents realize is that, yes, they know when they're feeding kids food that, isn't good. Maybe it's not great for their muscles or whatever else, but the reality is it might not be good for their mood and anxiety and and their attention. And so what I think we need to do with this topic of anything like this is we do really have to think holistically and step outside of the dimension that we're in because we can get compartmentalized in that dimension and it limits our, our possibilities every day.
1: So. Excellent. I, I it was very encouraging here, the sleep thing because it's, it's, it's a, a wrong big say. area. I really enjoy sleep. Oh, yeah. Sleep is so hard. So so absolutely. <laughs> I have regret to get every more of nap
3: that. I never took <laughs> as a kid. Right? That's a great way to look yeah. at it. I regret yeah. every nap I never yeah. took. One thing that I would uh, want people to understand is just like Brett, you've been saying in the, the sermons leading up is um, how relationships, um, what is it? Love is an intentional act, proactive, proactive, yeah. proactive pursuit. Very good. Okay. That's right. <laughs> it was hard to get to. I, I, um, I tried to
1: come up with a, yeah, something yeah. snappy. You're like, I don't know. Love is well, a proactive pursuit. Right, right. Yeah, not a pr
3: passive. All of this yeah. is a proactive pursuit. Mm-hmm. So we say yeah. we're gonna wing it right. when it comes to um, you know, our kids um diet and and, and mm-hmm. things like that. We're gonna we're gonna rely on our gut or go with our heart and that right. that doesn't really work out. And so it's it's work, it's work. We have to like slow down and actually think about these things and be intentional and present in the moment when we're making these decisions. And so just helping people understand like when you present to therapy, you may bring your child to therapy, but it's going to be work for Mm -hmm. everyone. You know, it's going to be stopping and and maybe slowing down, maybe um, giving up some of your commitments, um, maybe spending more one-on-one time like... It's gonna be a process.
1: Yeah, right. There's kind of a, there's a logical connection here. Like, if you do end up going to a therapist mm-hmm. and, and, and someone to help you, they're going to have you do proactive things. Yeah, right. So why not before you ever arrive there, think, okay, well, I probably ought to be doing some right. proactive things, like right. scheduling some more better sleep and the yeah. kind of food that we're taking in
2: and those things. And even think about it in a very simple way. Studies have indicated that literally the act of going to the therapist for the first time has a small, but I mean, it's small but significant impact in improving your symptoms for many mm-hmm. people. Now you think, well, what happens there, right? Because we haven't even done any therapy or whatever. Right. I really believe, and I think we all believe here, that the aspect of how we're using our free will, which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. Jamie, that intentionality has mysterious benefits um, that we don't mm-hmm. even realize. And so literally the act of going and committing you know, many times I say to parents, I mean, even if you don't think there's grand things happening, your commitment when they're when they're remaining committed in therapy you can, is making a difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's not only making a difference because they're going there and trying but their children are seeing that commitment and then recognizing that this isn't easy for mom and dad Mm -hmm. to do. I mean, this takes time and they have to change things around.
0: There's a wall that comes down almost immediately because it's there there and you've kind of said, Hey, I want to seek help in this or seek some resources. And you're immediately feeling a little bit like I'm doing something to help whatever that feeling is. Maybe that inertia gets started. Right. So like Mm -hmm. I'm started. So now I'm going to continue. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, I mean, I'm sure there, I have thoughts in my own head of why I think this is, but with, we're sleeping less, what are some of those causes? Like, why? what's going on? Is it just the 24-7 culture? Is right.
2: it So you know the jokes I do. I, I, well, first of all, the first electrically lighted city in America, which I, I, I might be wrong about this, don't quote me, I think it was Wabash, Indiana back in the teens or oh, wow. 12 or whatever. It's actually you one of those. look just, that I'm, up. Look it up, and if I'm wrong, please cross this out. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, what I always joke with my teens these days when I'm doing talks or I'm in therapy is, there was a time, and I'm—I'll admit—I'm 42 years old right now. You know that um, when I was sitting in front of the TV and it was later at night, I would start to realize, "Oh wait, the national anthem is playing," and oh, you know what? It's signing off, and then fuzz. Right.
1: I'm old enough to remember oh, that. You remember too, that right? too. I remember, I too. remember it too. Yeah, and there—and there, a, and there old, really was. Right, I mean,
2: was, and these—you yeah, know what? These eighth graders need they, to be done. They, these eighth graders <laughs> look at me like you must be 97. <laughs> <laughs> you must right. be, and I'm like, I'm That's not true. really that old. Right. So. Part of to your question is we, we really are in a 24-7 culture, not in regards just to what you can go out and get to eat, but in regards yeah. to how our lifestyles are. And there's some really fascinating things. I'm going to throw this out. This was a study a little ways back um, that looked at moms who were pregnant and they looked at how they adhered to the natural light cycle, which for millennia, right, was the only thing we had. Basically, you didn't have electricity or whatever. While they were pregnant, they looked at how well they slept according to the light cycle. and We sleep a little bit less in the summer, and then we more in the winter as it gets you know darker mm. sooner. They found that their kids had better sleep habits, better sleep in general, those who adhered to the light cycle more you know, specifically than those who did not. Now, Again, does that hold fast to everybody? No. But I think what it's saying to us is that the further away we remove ourselves from the rhythms of our day and our world and everything else, probably encroaching into areas that are going to be not necessarily good for us. And that doesn't mean that we all should go to bed at, you know, five o'clock at night when it's the winter.
1: I'm all for that. Well, though. I mean, I'm I mean, not I mean, opposed I mean, yeah, to sometimes like the sleep too. sleep thing is like, yeah, yeah, we should do that.
2: But I think it does mean that we are trying to force some things into our life that our bodies are just saying, sorry. And that's, yeah. and that's, you know, there's a huge connection between pediatric obesity and poor sleep. And I would argue that, you know, when you're trying to force things in at times when you're playing baseball, maybe too late sometimes, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, it's just not adhering to that natural mm-hmm. rhythm, and that's an mm-hmm. important thing for us to consider. Yeah, yeah and things
1: are happening that we don't recognize, right. too. It's, it's, uh, we just kind of go with where the culture is headed, yeah. right. and, and we and we're, deeper issues they're discovering ten years later, are yep. kind of cropping up.
3: Didn't the Netflix like CEO say that his biggest competitor is sleep? He huh. did. And, yeah, and and makes that, sense. that's who he's he's yes. battling is people wanting to go to sleep. Right,
0: but instead they're going to binge watch the next. Yep. Netflix.
1: It's exactly true. I can't tell you how
0: many times in the last two weeks I've gotten at home, gotten home from work. I look at Netflix. I've been watching Cheers. It's just going back. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like four episodes. I'm like, I don't remember watching those three. And it would just, I fell asleep watching. Yeah, exactly. You're just sitting there and it is something that's even like (laughs) my brain is still hearing Cheers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that though because Cheers is. I understand <laughs> why Cheers is. Such I also a have a theory that thing. the
0: Office is really closely based to Cheers. Oh, I could see that. Oh, okay. Different setting. same lot of similar storylines. Right, yeah.
1: we should do a podcast just on that. Topic. Sorry, totally got us off track there. But do you know? What, you know what's,
0: right what's right interesting works.
2: to me about sleep, and I, I'll tie this into the spiritual side. Is I kind of feel like sleep is the ultimate submission to God's design where we have to trust more than anything else in our lives. What I mean by that is that, let's say we do sleep on average 25 to 27 years, right? But when you're asleep, of course, you know nothing of what's going on. You don't know what your body's doing for you and everything else. When you're awake, you think, well, I've got some control over this. So that's why I'm probably going to need to do this and this. I would kind of argue that sleep might be our ultimate submission to Mm -hmm. God's design because you have to trust that I need to dedicate, let's say for an adult, I try to, seven to nine hours a night, and I have to trust that that's doing good things for me because during the day I can at least feel and see that I think it's doing good things, but at night it's mysterious. So, yeah. You know.
1: Right. No, that's, a, it's an amazing thing to think about I, because I've having animals in the house, I've always right. been curious, like they sleep all the time. I mean, giraffes don't. Apparently. Dr- <laughs> I haven't seen <laughs> a giraffe, but we used to have a cat, which... <laughs> slept 24 hours of right. from what I could see. And the dog does the same thing. I was like, they're just kind to go with their design and God lets them do that. Yeah. Some yeah. of it's guilt, yeah. honestly. I mean, I, I I do I say I love sleep, but for much of my life I, I love being early riser. But I was also a late stayer upper too, Mm -hmm. which is a bad combo. And looking back on it, I wish I hadn't done that. But some of it was just out of the drive and the in the the guilt almost. Mm -hmm. I want to achieve things, accomplish things, and all that. But you said you're doing seven to nine hours a night and still have written the books and you know, I I try, yeah.
2: I do try to set up to seven to eight hours a night. And people often will ask me because of my life and how busy it is, like you must not sleep at all. And my response is no, I'm I'm trying to sleep as much as possible. Do I get there every night? Of course not. And that's not the worry, but the question I think we have to ask for all of us you know everybody listening is do you set up your life in a way that allows for it that's the key and i think that's the key for kids we've got five kids in one room right it's a it's a wild <laughs> show we got five boys i mean you okay. should see what kind of shenanigans go on <laughs> and so i'm kind of wondering like how much sleep is our kids getting but i will tell you this we do set up their sleep routines that kids in general, ages like 6 to 11, are designed to get 10 to 11 hours of sleep a night, right? That's a lot of sleep. I mean, if you yeah, think about the I'd average say. toddler or preschooler, they're supposed to be sleeping half their day. Wow. So the question for, I think, wow. all of us is, do we design our day to allow for God's design to come into play? And if we don't, you know what? I, I'm going to argue, and I, I do get like the Netflix comment that you made, Jamie, it kind of infuriates me sometimes because I think you're looking, you're take you're kind of attacking what we know is good for human beings and saying that's your biggest competitor. And that just kind wow. of bothers me a lot. Um, and so I, I think the key for people, sometimes they get so caught up in like, Oh my gosh, I'm not getting it or I'm not feeling, you know, all of us wake up in the morning early and we can't get back to sleep, but are you setting up your life to allow for God's design to come right. to full fruition? And that would be my, that would be my question.
0: Yeah. And, and I know that, um, Jamie, you, we talked a little bit before, anxiety is something that you enjoy discussing, talking about, researching, right? <laughs> Experiencing. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounded like I was going go to yeah. so say. Um, uh, some of those things, like when it comes to, I don't know, things that you wish people would know again on that or things that we talked about, sleep, what are some other things that maybe are um, just information that people would be helpful for them to understand? Um, again, sorry,
3: everything I do is from a young child perspective. Yeah, yeah but that's that, fine. Anxiety can be adaptive. I mean, it's a, yep. um, it's not always maladaptive to have anxiety. I mean, if a car is speeding towards you, you need to have a little bit of anxiety yeah, to, to move away. So, and also knowing that there are certain stages of development where anxiety is appropriate. So it's not always. Um, I don't want it to become. Um, Super anxiety provoking for a parent when their nine month old is having separation anxiety because that's the developmentally appropriate time to have that, mm. and so that's not a disorder, right? And so, um, you know, fears of what are they? Fears of death, fears, fears of public of speaking, podcast. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. but all of that can be developmentally appropriate, um, and it's really um, it becomes a problem when it interferes with your. Mm. Functioning. So for a kid, their occupational functioning would be going to school. So, you know, if it interferes with them going to school or they refuse all participation in extracurriculars, um, when it starts to impair eating, sleeping, Mm -hmm. right, that's when, you know, then we might consider Mm -hmm. that we were at a disordered state. So. And if
1: we recognize that about ourselves, what are some steps uh, outside of you know ordering our lives around better sleep? Are mm-hmm. there other things that are pretty much guaranteed this is going to help?
3: Yeah, I feel like we have great treatment for anxiety, um, cognitive behavior therapy. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a therapist. That
1: was going to be my question. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay.
3: So um, there's great books, and from the young child perspective, like my favorite is Helping Your Anxious Child by Ron Rapi. Um, and it, literally a parent could read that and engage in cognitive behavior therapy <clears throat> with their child. Um, it's very like easy read, and it helps them understand. Um, I mean, with anxiety, essentially you're dealing with Um, negative thinking so your your thoughts are coming in and you're exaggerating the probability of a bad thing happening Mm -hmm. or you're exaggerating the consequence of a bad thing happening so it's either um, your brain will tell you and it's a cognitive distortion that um, like for children like there's definitely going to be a burglar like and that doesn't happen very often Mm -hmm. right Right. the bad guys are going to get in. We live in a very safe neighborhood that's never happened here. Um, So that's the the first cognitive kind of distortion with anxiety is things are a higher probability. And then the second one would be that the consequence is even greater. So if that thing does happen, so I have a kiddo who has a fear of throwing up, (laughs) getting sick. Oh, yeah, we all have that If that (laughs) thing happens... What's the worst consequence mm. from that, right? Mm, and so right. his is like, it'll be the worst thing ever. <laughs> you know, it leads to certain death, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no.
1: Well, it is the worst well, thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the the yeah, I'm with right. him on that. I, oh, we, it's like the worst. So Ugh. sometimes <laughs> if we
3: go to worst case scenario, <laughs> right, yeah. oh, worst case scenario isn't okay. all that bad. So like okay. first recognizing those distortions and then learning how to look for evidence to kind of change your thought a little bit and that'll that's take a resource
1: that, that you can take your child through yeah and yeah. Then, and what i do see a lot of is especially we have a lot of young parents in our church and so i see especially with young mothers mm-hmm. the the that anxiety thing happening yeah. in themselves right. and then them worried about even more in their kids so right. is there a resource with would they both be helped by that or is there another resource that adult what? women should go through that would be helpful
2: yeah, there's a lot of different resources. I would say again, the young kids. There's a website you guys can link to your listeners yeah. called the uh, Center for Effective Parenting through Arkansas Children's Hospital. It has great handouts for like you know excessive separation anxiety or issues in general around anxiety and all sorts of parenting challenges. There, I really like that mm-hmm. a lot. But yeah, throughout, I mean, there's different resources depending on the age, and we could certainly help you link uh, whether you're dealing with trauma, whether you know whether you're dealing with right. just kind of generalized anxiety. But I think what Jamie said is so key. It's those two questions again. It is the fact, I, I'll use an example. I have many kids who come to me, have a lot of anxiety about schoolwork, academics, right? And there's a great irony about these kids is that most <laughs> of them, not all of them, but most of them are actually some of the best students out there. So when you ask them, Jamie said the base rates question, that's what I would call, is so how often do you fail this, these tests, right? Because they're really anxious about that. Sometimes they'll look at me and go, I don't fail What are you talking about fail? I don't I haven't failed a test in years. So my first comment to them is isn't it interesting how we worry about things the most that rarely happen, right? That's my first comment. And to Jamie's second point, I say, okay, so let's say you did fail the test, right? what would happen? I mean, I, and I use what I'll do is I'll really exaggerate it. I'll, well, do you think everybody will hate you? And they're like, no. Do you think you'll flunk the class immediately? No. You know? And so I kind of work them down. I'm saying, so what really will happen? And we get to the point where they're kind of looking at me like, well, I guess that's probably not that big of a deal. Right. And so that's a process though. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you come to learn something new and I tell these kids, it's really fun in therapy. Sometimes I said, there's a lot of adults that don't understand what we're doing right. right now. And when you start to understand the power of thinking and, and I'm not talking about naive, like overly you know, idealistic, or Pollyannish thinking, I'm talking about realistic thinking in a positive way. I was like, you can't believe how powerful this can be. And that, I, I will always take back, That had this kind of an neat example, all the way back to graduate school. You know, it's been almost 20 years since I was sitting in the clinic at St. Louis University. And it was my, when, literally, I think my very first patient. And, and she was a woman in St. Louis that was in her um, late 50s or whatever. And she would come to me every, <clears throat> every day or every, I should say, a couple of weeks And you know what? She was anxious all the time about finances. She was living on a fixed income and she could tell me down to the cent how much her utility bills were like every single time. So I kind of went on with this for, you know, a month or two. And I finally was sitting there one day and I thought, maybe this is a stupid question, but I thought I, I asked her, I said, question after 40 years of living there, how many times have you not been able to pay your utility bill? And she looks at me almost like, that is a stupid question. (laughs) And she said, well, zero, I've always paid my utility bills. And I said, isn't it interesting that after 40 years of still being able to pay these, you still have a lot of anxiety about that. And that, and that I think epitomizes a lot of how we feel (laughs) in our lives and our culture. And it's, it's part of the human experience. Jamie was absolutely right when she said that we don't want to denigrate anxiety because it has a clear role when FDR said, you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself, what they leave off often in that quoted line is he's talking about unnecessary fear. He's not talking about all fear. If you look at the full quote, it's unnecessary fear. And I think one of the greatest probably um, tragedies of our lives often is that we spend so much time in anxiety and fear, we don't get to fully experience the present moment. And there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, and and I'm going to say this quote, and I know it's going to be hard for people to own it, but I love this. He was asked years ago, what do you think really is the key core feature of the spiritual program? What is this What is this life all about from a spiritual sense? And here's his response. He said, it's three things. Do your present duty, bear your present pain, enjoy your present pleasures, and let the emotions and experiences take care of itself. Now, I know people are like, that's crazy. You can't let the emotions and experiences, I got to control. And I realize that's a really hard place to get, but what happens with chronic anxiety is, oh, I feel like we just remove so much of the joy and peace and love from our lives when we have these unnecessary fears, right? Yeah. And that's where I find us very often.
3: That's right. what I see that in, in the patients I work with is your anxiety has taken away your ability to enjoy things. That's things okay, that right. are supposed to does, be fun, yeah. things that are supposed to be life-giving are like Painful yep. for you, mm. right, and yeah, so absolutely. that's kind of the saddest part, especially when you're looking at a a five year old right oh yeah absolutely,
2: right. and you're thinking how much more life do you have I, yeah, I, I feel right. so bad for these young kids who have such intense anxiety because I think, oh my gosh, you know if something doesn't change and hopefully it will we're here, imagine how difficult this life would be and, and 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 I think Jamie would say the same thing i've been eternally blessed with so much uh, unbelievably positive and loving people in my life. And, and you know, I think one of the keys to working with anyone is empathy is the key of everything. I, I say that there's three E's of parenting um, that you have to have to do really, these are the core facets, and it's on my website if you want to see an article about this. The three E's are endurance. We've got to figure out where we're going to have the endurance, psychological, physical, social, to be able to do this thing we call parenting. Um, emotional regulation. So often our great intent is just derailed by our own dysregulation, but the third is empathy. And I don't, I don't have to necessarily with my, you know, 11 year old, I might think sometimes he's being overdramatic and sometimes I think I'm right. And my response is, you know, kind of echoes that, but if I don't have empathy truly for as much as I can, where he's coming from, how am I ever going to address the real anxiety that he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: That's where the relationship piece, you know, how this series yeah. is on relationships yeah. and like right. in any relationship where you have like a person who's predisposed to be anxious, that other person, whether it's a parent or a spouse, has a has a responsibility too in a couple things. One, not being dismissive, right? right? Yeah. Or not trying Excellent. to fix everything. No, no, it's fine. It'll be fine. You always do fine on your tests. That can't come from the other person, right? right. Um, so they they need to be empathetic, but they also have a responsibility to not um, provide excessive reassurance. Right, mm-hmm. man, what a tricky balance. Yes. Like yeah. if, if you're <laughs> if you're in a relationship, Good luck, you know, yeah. yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> that's a whole other discussion, Right, right. Yeah. but right. that's where the relationships come in. Like mm. if you're in a relationship and this person is predisposed to be anxious, they're going to be looking to you most times to you're the only one that can make me feel better. You're Mm -hmm. the only one who can take my worry away. Um, And to make sure that we're not kind of feeding that, you know, and telling them, yeah, you're right, you're in danger, and I'm the the one who can make this better.
2: And Brett, Brett, to your question, how do we do this? So here's a starting point I think that we have to begin is how do we give love and reassurance, but not do it excessively, right? Let's use the example of a kid who's afraid. And this came, this happened in our, our yard a few years ago. There was a dog that was running into the yard, right? He'd um, come from the neighbors down, down a couple of houses down. And we were, and my kids initially were pretty fearful about this dog, right? And th- for good reason, This that might've been a you know way to mobilize their safety. But what happened was that, that dog's presence started to create the situation where my kids weren't going outside, right? So the first thing I had to do there was I had to validate that their anxiety was real and it was perfectly fine. I tell my kids in session, there's three rules I have about how we are gonna experience this in session. The first thing I ask them is, is it okay to feel anything you feel? And sometimes they'll look around and go, and you know what? They've kind of been coached and their life has told them no. And I, I'm right. the first to say, no, it's absolutely. You should be able to feel anything you feel. And if anyone tries to tell you you can't feel that, that's not a good place right. to be.
3: There are bad feelings and there are good right. feelings. No. And I only talk about the good ones. Yep. Right.
2: So the second thing is, are you allowed to have your own thoughts and ideas? And no matter what people tell you, even your parents, and they're going to try to teach you things. And again, they kind of look around and finally they realize, yeah, this, this is our, we're allowed to do this. But the third is, what happened? Are we allowed to do anything that we want to based on how we think and feel? And I say, well, you can do it, but there's consequences to it, right? So back to the situation with the dog, what was happening was my kids were all coming inside and they weren't going outside. And so in validating the anxiety, what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to excessively reassure them in a way that seemed to create a situation where they couldn't be empowered, right? And so what I had to do was figure out how are we going to help each other, empower us to deal with this situation as good as possible. And so we came up with some plans. We decided we, we were figuring out where the dog was coming from. We would go down and talk to the owner. If we saw the dog, we would kind of decide whether or not it was approaching in an aggressive way. Long story short, what we did was, we really used it as we call a teaching moment, kind of an emotional teaching moment. But I, I find what happens a lot of times with parents, and it's out of great intent, great intent, mm-hmm. is that they excessively reassure to the point that what they unintentionally do is they are teaching their kids that this is a situation that they must be very afraid of, right? Or that they, they oh my gosh, I totally understand it, so probably never go outside again until that dog is gone. Mm-hmm. And that happens, we were talking right. earlier about sleep. Here's mm-hmm. the fascinating thing about sleep. Many, time, m- many of us have always been anxious at times at different points in our life about going to bed, right? But if you're too reassuring to your kid about that anxiety and you don't find a way to help them understand that although the anxiety is normal but that bedtime is a really good thing, guess what? That ends up leading to a lot of issues there. And so that's that's, yeah. that's the fine line a little bit. Yeah.
1: That's a very, very helpful thing.
0: And that was part one of this episode, and we will play part two next week where we talk about screens and kind of what the impact of that they've seen um, on some of those things for our kids, but also for adults as well. So make sure you guys check out the episode next week as we continue this conversation with Jamie and Jim. To ask us a question here at the podcast, you can email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah Inman, and I produced this episode. Our music is produced by Michael Robertson and Ben Brock.